0: According to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me one more time, if you would, in the book of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. I believe we're going to conclude this chapter this morning because I'm looking at verses 19 and 20. And uh, I believe this is uh, sufficient for this message, even though it's Communion Sunday, and sometimes those, those fly by faster than other Sundays, as it were, but uh, this is what we're looking at. I'm eager, though, to jump into chapter 7, because when we get into chapter 7, we get into Melchizedek, and this is what he wanted to talk about back in chapter 5, when he said, uh, you guys can't handle this yet. And uh, well, they've had a chapter to get used to it, because now in chapter seven, uh, he's gonna he's gonna hit him with both barrels and give him a full discourse on uh, on Melchizedek, and so I'm looking forward to that very much. But for today, we have a hope, and uh, we talk about. Let me back up slightly. Verse 17 talks about, in the same way, God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose, interposed with an oath. God did something that human beings normally do. To attest to the truthfulness, He takes a vow, right? And we're the humans that do that because we're the liars. <laughs> and so we put a hand on a Bible, we raise our hand, we solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Humans do that. Men do that. In verse 16, men swear by one greater than themselves. And with them an oath given as confirmation is the end of every dispute. We view that as a pinnacle, as the ultimate so here's God who cannot lie, and he puts himself under an oath to make to drive the point home. So by two unchangeable things, verse 18, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. And that's what we're going to see here today. Jesus Christ himself This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And this is what we're looking at here today, the stability that comes by fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. All right, before we start this hour, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and give each believer priest the privilege of quieting your heart, confessing your sins, whatever needs to happen to prepare your soul to receive the Word of God. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your Word. This is our privilege, this is our blessing. It is a grace provision, Father. Not one of us deserves this. Who are we that we should enter into your counsel? That we are none of us are entitled to, uh, to your wisdom, to your thinking. And yet, Father, by your grace, you have placed us in your Son. You have forgiven our sins. You have applied our sins to your Son's account and judged it. Then you've applied your righteousness to our, to our account and you bless it. And you keep on blessing it over and over again, Father. And you reveal to us your very thinking. I thank you for that. So, Father, this morning as we uh, study to show ourselves approved, we call upon the faithful teaching ministry of God the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our understanding, open our ear, the ears of our hearing. Let the Word of God be richly planted within each one of us. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ, most precious and holy name. Amen. All right. so when we talk about verses 19 and 20, we're talking about taking hold of the hope that is set before us. And it's right there. It's right there in front of you. It's the whole carrot and stick principle. you got the carrot, and the carrot's right in front of you. And that carrot dangles in front of that ox or that horse or whatever he's going to be pulling the cart because it's dangling right in front of him and he's hungry. And we have that fixed right in front of us. We should have the reward fixed in front of us. Jesus kept the joy set before him right in front of him. And we have this in front of us. And since it's in front of us, we keep looking forward. We forget what lies behind. We keep reaching forward to what lies ahead. And we're pressing on, running with endurance the race that's set before us. And not only is it there in front of us for us to keep reaching for and keep striving for, but also it is a, a source of stability. And that's what this passage talks about. And so when we get to uh, this final slide here in chapter 6, In verses 19 and 20, we have stability. Old Testament believers obtained stability for their walk of faith through the Word of God. We do as well. But New Testament believers have something so much greater. New Testament believers have a sure and steadfast anchor providing maximum spiritual stability. We have a provision that an Old Testament saint could only dream of. We have a provision that is our Savior seated at the right hand of God the Father. If we, if we sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And as we engage in our priestly ministry, we have an anchor. We have stability. We have anchor uh, the anchor of Jesus Christ, one that has entered within the veil. We've got a stability that no Old Testament believer ever had. So again, as I look at verse 19 and 20, As I look at this, I find a triplet of of expressions that speak of stability. First of all, it's called an anchor, and it's sure, it is steadfast. And so we have three different terms there anchor, sure, and steadfast. And we have the stability of of what we have here with these three expressions, uh, and one that enters within the veil. So this is where we need to be. If we find that we're not as stable as we ought to be, uh, how much time have we spent within the veil? How much time have we spent exercising our priestly function? How how much time have we spent before the Lord? See, has it been a while? How long has it been? See, to quote that old gospel quartet song, how long has it been? See, and if we find that our prayer life is in neglect, uh, is it any wonder then that the stability seems to be missing as well, that we find ourselves tossed to and fro, unlike the stability that His Word provides? I think that's that's the natural consequence of it there. And so where Jesus entered as a forerunner for us. Notice, what is implied in the, in the term forerunner? Other people are following, <laughs> right? You know, he's the forerunner. What good does it if the forerunner, the, the, the trailblazer, the, the guy who marks out the trail, you know, you get a, a trailblazer and he's gone, he's done all the hard work. He's done the reconnaissance. He's, done the, the he's, he's scouted out everything. He's found the, the problems and the snares. He's, he's found the alternate routes, the best routes, and He's marked them. That's what the blazing is about. He's marked them. so that, Why? So that people don't have to reinvent the wheel. The ones that are coming after Him can follow the course that He set, and they can avoid the snares that He identified, and they can have the easier track that He's already prepared for them. Because if it wasn't for Him, none of us would be in this veil. How would we possibly measure up? How would we possibly merit the holiness of God? Remember in the Old Testament if only the high priest could go in there, anybody else would be struck dead. And the high priest, he had procedures he had to follow or he'd be struck dead in the sacrifice that he had to bring. What what chance do we think we would have standing before the holiness of God had Jesus Christ not gone as that forerunner within the veil? And so we should be there as well. We should be there as well. He has gone in there. We're invited to go in there with him. Our priesthood is not like the Old Testament where the people were all in fear. They told Moses, well, go on up there and come back and tell us what God said. (laughs) No. Ours is the priesthood of intimacy. We are within the veil with our Savior. We stand together as a priesthood before our Father. And that's what this is ultimately all about. And so we have the greatest stability imaginable. Now, these Old Testament passages, they should be clear for us. We can look at them, Psalm 62, Jeremiah 17. These, um, there's no question that Old Testament believers were to be grounded in the Word of God and being grounded in the Word of God, they had stability. That's why the book of Proverbs is wit- written. That's why we have the wisdom literature. That's why parents would ground their children in the Scriptures and that gave them stability. Doctrine is always stabilizing. So Psalm 62 addresses this, Jeremiah 17 addresses this, among other passages. Maybe you've got favorites yourself and you can't believe that I didn't include them on this slide. Great. Next time we uh, we have a chance to fellowship, tell me what your favorite stability passages are. And this will be an item for us to to fellowship in. Uh, For the choir director, according to Jujuthan, a Psalm of David My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. We call this phase two salvation, experiential salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be greatly shaken. And where else are you going to go? This is the provision that we have. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, occupying with the Lord, locked in on the word of God. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? I read through this and I have visions of Wile e. Coyote and the Roadrunner. You know, I have visions of these, these people and their plots and they have this leaning wall and they, they're just getting that leaning wall set up for that moment when, when their victim walks by, when David walks by and aha, we have him now, that tottering thing, we can knock it over and uh, they got all these plans they have counsel only to thrust him down from his high position they delight in falsehood they bless with their mouth but inwardly they curse and so what's the answer the answer is the word of god the answer is waiting on god you're prayerfully waiting you're in the scriptures this is where we fellowship as it says in verse 5 my soul waits in silence for god only for my hope is from him he only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold I shall not be shaken. O oh God, on God, my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. And so we, I think we see it here as, as David is, is spelling this out, the intimacy that comes through The word of god where else does that fellowship come from where else does that certainty come from Uh, it's not natural revelation that provides that it's special revelation it's the truth from the word of god it's not sitting under a tree and being amazed at the 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 natural revelation of creation but it is reading the text it is chewing on the meat of the word of god it is fellowshipping in the the stability that the word of god provides that's what equips us to stay the course. That's what equips us to continue in prayer, is, is living in the Word of God in, uh, in the aspect there. It's uh, curious to me when I talk to folks and they don't have a church home, and they say, you know, and I ask them, they claim to be saved. I so, oh, okay, you're saved, great. Love believes all things, I, I got you. You're saved, cool. Where do you assemble? What flock are you a part of as you fulfill your role in the body of Christ? And oh, well, you know, I don't really go to church. I I don't think you have to go to church to be religious, right? And I, you know, I I can read my Bible at home. I I pray, I pray. How much do you pray? I I know, now I'm starting to get skeptical. Now I'm starting to think, okay. Because see, if, if the Word of God is not shaping your life, Romans 12 says, if you're not transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you're going to be conformed to this age. And let me tell you something, conformity to this age does not do home Bible studies, does not do home prayer. All right, Conformity to this age drives away from that. Whereas being in the Word of God fosters that. Being in the Word of God constantly drives you to that throne of grace, which we're seeing chapter by chapter by chapter here in the book of of Hebrews. All right. Uh, Jeremiah 17, another passage on this. Jeremiah 17. And here's the weeping prophet, Here's a guy that knew about conflict, just like David. Plenty of enemies around. Sometimes I think we just need more enemies. You know, if, if we're deficient, if we, if, we, if we seem to be running thin on enemies lately, well, you know, that means the, the testing is lightened and our, our the urgency and fervency of our prayers maybe gets diminished. Just a theory, maybe I'm wrong. If uh, But if you want, you know, <laughs> let me know. We'll try to find some more enemies for you. We'll uh, ramp up your prayer life. Jeremiah 17. And uh, different things on this. Let me back up a little bit. Verse 5 Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Your faith can't be in a man, can't be in a pastor, can't be in a husband, can't be in a, a politician, can't be in the ballot box for a president you voted for or a president you didn't vote for. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Understand that. Our faith is to be in the Lord. So uh, you want to trust in man, he's going to let you down. He will be like a bush in the desert. He will not see you when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness a land of salt without inhabitant. You want to trust in human beings? That is a weak foundation to ground your faith. No stability in that. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. You see the difference? Two things are being said there. Blessed or happy is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. Two different aspects there. And this is living in the Word of God, because how do you know who the Lord is unless you're in the Word of God, unless you're occupied with Him, unless it's transforming your thinking? And this is not a scrub bush in the desert. This is a tree. He would be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream. He will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. He will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. What a picture. You know, and you you have these two metaphors. You've got the scrub bush in verse 6. That's what you end up being when your faith is in man. You've got the mighty tree in verse 8. And that's what you end up with when your faith is in the Lord. Your trust is in the Lord, and your trust is the Lord. So, Old Testament believers could have all kinds of stability. We see it. We see it in David. We see it in Jeremiah. We see it in Daniel. We see these. These three youths that are captured and taken off into captivity. What stability? They had amazing stability as children standing before Nebuchadnezzar because that's what the Word of God will do. We see it in um, other examples as well. The psalmist from Psalm 119. Powerful stability in the Word of God. Now, New Testament believers have even more. We've got all the stability they had in terms of canon. They had Scripture, we have Scripture. We have more Scripture, all right? They had a Hebrew canon. We have a Hebrew canon and a Greek canon. But we have even more. We have a risen Savior. And we have a position whereby we are placed into union with that risen victorious Savior. That's powerful. New Testament believers have a sure and steadfast anchor providing maximum spiritual stability. How about 1 Corinthians 15? And um, the imperatives that are here, the expectations that are here. Especially in a church that was schismatic as anything like Corinth. But you got a, a pretty comprehensive chapter here on resurrection. Over 50 verses detailing resurrection. The certainty of it, the glory of it, what we have to look forward to, and um, the recognition that, that we are destined for these, these glories And uh, when you come to the conclusion here of this resurrection discourse, he says in verse 56, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a present tense. That's a victory right here, right now. That's today. That's not waiting for the resurrection someday to have a victory. That's the stability of victory today. The church age is a victory parade the church age is the Father's triumph in Christ. And we are the victory parade for the cross. And, uh, and uh, that's what we are. And this should be the, the great uh, confidence that we have in our Christian walk. Therefore, my beloved brethren, on the basis of everything chapter 15 teaches you, be steadfast, immovable. Be steadfast, immovable. That's our imperative. If you're not steadfast, immovable, you're disobeying this imperative. It's a sin of omission if you fail to be steadfast, immovable. This imperative tells you to be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. If you lose your stability, how productive can you be? No. If you're you're adrift in your Christian walk, how much fruit bearing are you doing? How much service are you doing? Does God use unstable believers or does He use stable believers? Say... Maximum stability, maximum spiritual impact. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Wrecking, this, is, this is faith. This is knowing this. This is uh, being able to see what's unseen. Your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Satan tells you it is. And honestly, it looks like it an awful lot of time. You're looking around with your human eyes and wondering, man, is anything happening? And you get discouraged. And you think there's we're doing all this and nothing to show for it. Doing all this and there's no production. There's no fruit. There's nothing. And yet faith says, yes, there is. There is for all eternity. And uh, you just don't know the, the, the fringes of it because there's so much more happening than you realize. Your toil is not in vain in the Lord, so we should be stable. Likewise, uh, Ephesians, Ephesians 3.17 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And in a powerful passage here, man, we have of course marvelous discourses on our positional truth in chapter 1, our salvation by grace in chapter 2. We have um, our stewardship here in chapter 3. And Paul's um, prayer request on the behalf of these believers, just recognize here, Um, Ephesians 3, I know the slide says verse 17, but um, he's talking about his stewardship on behalf of the Gentiles and he's talking about the mystery, Ephesians 3, 3, this mystery. This is the reference to the fact that the church was unseen in the Old Testament There were no prophecies of the church in the Old Testament. This was unfolded uh, only when it was created. And so this mystery, as I wrote before in brief, and by referring to this, verse 4, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This new stewardship, this powerful thing called the church, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. So in the days gone by, From Adam to Abraham when Gentiles had stewardship. From Abraham to Christ when Israel had the stewardship. There were still things that were held back that were not made known. God in His wisdom withheld this. As it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. So church age information came out in the first century, recorded in the Greek canon. To be specific, that the Gentiles now are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There's a brand new stewardship unveiled in the first century, and it's called the church, whereby Gentiles and Jews alike are fellow heirs through the gospel. And it's new, not revealed previously, greater than anything that had ever come before. So our stability is greater than anything that has ever come before. Paul says, of which I was, in verse 7, of which I was made a uh, minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. We all get to be ministers. That's a benefit of the church age where every one of us is a believer priest. In the Old Testament, Paul wouldn't have been a minister. How could Paul be a, a Levitical priest when he was from the tribe of Benjamin? He would have no liturgical service at all in the Old Testament. But now in Christ, we're all ministers. We're all believer priests. This is the grace gift of our our stewardship, which was given to me in according to the working of His power. Wow. (laughs) Here's the Old Testament believers now. I mean, put yourself back in that frame of mind. Just go back in time, 2,000 years plus. Go back to the Old Testament. Make yourself whatever. Make yourself a Jew or a Gentile, whatever you want to do. And 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 a believer in the Old Testament, and there's a Hebrew canon that kind of gives you some wisdom, gives you some stability, gives you the Word of God. There's wisdom you can apply in your life. If you're Jewish and then you're under the law, well, there's 613 commands to obey, and you get all these commands to obey, and no divine empowerment to get it done. (laughs) No divine empowerment you got the Ten Commandments and the other 612. You got, there's all those commandments, right? 612? I think 602 plus 10? Whatever it is. Um, you got all those commandments and the Holy Spirit does not indwell you. You don't have the power of God working in you. God's not at work within you both the will and to do of His good pleasure because you're not in Christ. You're an Old Testament believer with all these expectations to fulfill the law and no ability to do so. And you get to be the illustration for 2,000 years, for 4,000 years of humanity not measuring up (laughs) so that you can join the parade of nobody measuring up. So when Christ comes, when Christ comes, here's the one who fulfills the law. Here is the one sinless and perfect. Okay. And here's now the new age in grace whereby you have a gift of God's grace given to you according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Now we start to see the conundrums. We start to see the paradoxes. We start to see the, uh, the contradictions that are, I think, written beautifully as uh, not contradictions. We, we fathom the unfathomable. We approach the unapproachable. He dwells in unapproachable light, but guess what? We approach that light. We're in that light. The unfathomable riches we fathom the unfathomable. All these things, they seem to be uh, they're they're like oxymorons. It's saying two things at once, and they're both true. and uh, And I, I love them; they're all beautiful here in the New Testament. And to bring to light what is the dispensation of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. See, God kept it in reserve. He kept the the angels in the dark. Elect angels and fallen angels alike had no idea that this church was about to be unveiled. All of this is mystery that was kept hidden from the church, from the uh, from uh, humans and angels alike. Now, in this uh, in this reality, now in this church age, what do we have? Well, verse eleven. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in. Christ Jesus our Lord. That's us. Positional truth in Christ. In whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. We should be coming boldly to that throne of grace. We enter within the veil. We have boldness. We have stability. We have an anchor. And every business being in there. If, if our prayer life is going to the Father every once in a while and asking for something we don't think we deserve and kind of doubtful that we're going to get it anyway, that's a pathetic, insulting prayer life. We go boldly to a Father who loves us and we boldly ask for something we know we don't deserve and we ask for it anyway because He's the God of grace. And this is the age in which we live. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Now we get into Paul's prayer, and that's what centers us into this stability from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives His name, that He would grant you. This is the prayer request, and it goes with our Proverb study. It goes with what happens inside the veil. Why do we have that stability inside the veil? Because we have access to the Father in prayer. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love. How stable is that? Rooted and grounded. So you talk about the deep, deep roots and the stability there, or grounding. Here we are, rooted and grounded in love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. The multi-dimensions of deep doctrine right there. And it's available for us. It's available for stable believers. And church-age believers should be the most stable believers ever to walk this planet. Because no believer has been given what we've been given. And we take that for granted. We act like it's always been that way. We act like it's no big deal. No, this is so unique. And remember, to whom much is given shall much be required. When they've entrusted much, they will expect all the more. And we've been entrusted much. So this stability should be ours. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. Well if it surpasses knowledge how do I know it? (laughs) Again there's a conundrum. How do I fathom the unfathomable? How do I approach the unapproachable? Because it's in Christ. And in Christ I can do all things. And so we have the stability there. We get to chapter 4 we have more stability. And stability comes about as we function in a local church. See, if you're trying to do that uh, Joe Hermit Christian thing, if you're trying to, you know, be on your own kind of a thing, you're, yes, you are a believer priest, but you belong in a priesthood. You belong with brothers and sisters. You belong in a flock. If you're a part of a flock, if you're not a part of a flock, what are you? You're a sheep without a shepherd. You're out there in the wild. You must be one of those legendary uh, you know, combat battle sheep that I never hear about on (laughs) National Geographic. I mean, seriously, uh, there, there is no combat battle sheep with the ferocious teeth and the claws that holds his own against the lions and the wolves. That wandering sheep that's just kind of roaming out there is food, okay? He is prey because there are wolves and lions and bears and, and predators that, that are just licking their chops, waiting, waiting to get that, that lost sheep. And so every sheep needs to be under a shepherding ministry, protected within the fold of a local church. And this is what we see in chapter 4. Because Jesus ascended on high and He gave gifts to men. A great adaptation of Psalm 68 where He receives gifts and He gives gifts. And um, He ascended. The one who humbled Himself now ascends and uh, last Wednesday, if you missed it, last Wednesday we were in this text as well in, in our Proverbs class. Um, Hebrews 4.9, the expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all things so that he might fill all things. He physically died and He descended to Sheol. He made victorious proclamation and He led captivity captive. He brought forth every Old Testament believer out of Abraham's bosom. He transferred Abraham's bosom into heaven itself. Paradise is now in the third heaven when it used to be in Sheol. Paradise is now in heaven. And now in the church age, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. There's four some as is there. Two were in the apostolic age. Two abide for the totality of the church age where we are today. Evangelists and pastor teachers. Why do we have evangelists and pastor teachers? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. We have gifted evangelists and gifted pastor teachers plus nine other spiritual gifts but these gifts are the equipping gifts. These are the gifts that serve in the stability function of equipping as we see it here. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, the mature man, as we've been looking at in Philippians, as many as are mature keep on having this attitude, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Who's there? Are you there yet? Have you reached the maturity level of Jesus Christ yet? Just tell me. Let me know if you are. I'll, uh, I'll excuse you. <laughs> You have no business being here. What am I going to teach you? You'd be in heaven, actually, if you reach that maturity stature of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Think about it. The instability of a child. That's, you know, I mean, things are the end of the world to a child. You know, you get thrown for a loop and, oh my goodness, the end of the world. And slow down. Let's get some perspective here. Okay? Maturity will do that. Doctrinal maturity will do that spiritually. No longer children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. That is, truthing in love. Take the noun truth and make a verb out of it. Truthing in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him, who is the head, even Christ. And this requires us to be part of a local church. You can't do this if you're not a part of a local church. If you're not a part of a body. It's like trying to be a finger without the rest of the hand or the rest of the arm or the rest of the body. That finger is just severed. It's a dead thing. You see in verse 16, the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. If you, if you cut yourself off from an assembly, then you're just a severed limb. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we should have this stability. We should be the most stable believers in the history of the world. New Testament saints abiding in the Word of God, fully equipped with everything the New Testament supplies. This maximum stability is particularly exhibited within the veil where New Testament believers operate in the Melchizedek priesthood. This maximum stability is particularly exhibited within the veil, where New Testament believers operate in the Melchizedek priesthood. Now I think this was also true in the Old Testament. As I said, Old Testament believers had stability in the Word of God, and that was particularly true when they were in prayer. We see David in prayer, we see the psalmist, Psalm 119 guy in prayer, we see Jesus in prayer constantly, He would go away to a secluded place and he would go to prayer. We see the the function of prayer, the priestly function of prayer we see is that place, that place of quiet rest. We have the hymn, Near to the Heart of God, right? We're just going to draw near in prayer. We're going to find that rest. Well, church-age priests, far more than Old Testament saints, we have an access that is immediately before the Father in the name of Jesus Christ in our Melchizedek priesthood. And this gives us our maximum stability. Think about it. The, um, where, on the night in which he was betrayed, what did he want to do? He went in into the garden. Why was he in the garden? Mary thought he was the gardener. You know, well, he spent a lot of time in gardens, but he was there praying. And he wanted his disciples to pray with him. And they, and they kept falling asleep. <laughs> a lot of help they were. St- prayer is where we have that stability. Praying without ceasing. Praying with one another. The blessing of our Melchizedek priesthood is that we may obtain grace and find, help, find mercy to help in time of need. And you know what that time of need is? Always. <laughs> that's today, day after day, as long as it's called today. If we ever have a moment where we think it's not a time of need, we're in trouble. Lest well, him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. If, you, if you're coasting along thinking, oh, I've got a handle on this. My walk is fine. I don't, you know, And if you just assume that things are going great, look out. Because you just took your armor off. You just stopped being on the alert. You just, uh, you know, powered down in the prayer department. And um, you're going to have to ramp that back up in a hurry because the the conflict's about to hit. About to hit in a very big way. I think Philippians 4 addresses this. James 1 addresses this. 1 Peter 4. Any one of these proves the point. All three of them combined, uh, you know, drives it home. Nothing like redundancy to, uh, to uh, reinforce it. But it's prayer. Prayer is where we have it. That's what the Melchizedek function is. You know, what, what else are we doing as priests? Are we, are we sacrificing animals? Are we sprinkling blood? What are we doing? See, Christ is the end of all that. He's the end of the law for all who believe. The, the death that He died, He died once for all. We're done with the death. We are the living Sacrifices. We are we are that we enter within the veil and we serve a living Savior, and so we come before Him and our main priestly function is in prayer. It is in fellowship with Him through prayer, and yes, we ask for things, but it's bigger than just asking for stuff. I think the baby prayers are the "give me, give me, give me" prayers. I need, I need, I need, I need. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, those are the baby prayers. The the mature fellowship prayers where we are just loving Him, and praising Him, and celebrating Him, and taking an hour just to dwell on righteousness. And then next week, we dwell on justice, and we go to love, and we, we pick an essence box item, and we just fellowship in those prayers. All right, Philippians 4. You'll see what I'm talking about here. Within the veil, in the Melchizedek function of prayer, And it's our great privilege to be able to do this one with another. And it's, uh, you know, we do this um, collectively. We do this corporately, uh, several times a week. A we uh, men can do it on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Women even get a bonus time. The ladies have a prayer time on Wednesday mornings, and so we have these three um, two or three prayer opportunities, depending. And, uh, and and these corporate prayer opportunities is where we come together as a body, where we bear one another's burdens, where we where we exercise this Melchizedek priesthood corporately as a body. All right, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. That's 4-4. <laughs> Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, the Lord is near. So we have a way to publicly communicate this. This is Uh, my spirit of rejoicing, my spirit of stability, my spirit of prayer, all of these things, I have them, but I'm also broadcasting them, I'm sharing them, I'm exercising them in a community with other prayer warriors, with other worshipers, with other rejoicers. Be anxious, and and when is the Lord near? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Alright? So corporately, let your uh, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Yeah, we're only in chapter 3 at the moment in our 9.30 hour, but we're headed here. We're going to be here before you know it. We're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to see all the dimensions of prayer, whereby just asking for stuff is the kind of the last thing you get to. Let your requests be made known. That's That's the last item mentioned in this list. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Then let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. Here's another unfathomable thing. (laughs) And man, the stability that we have. A peace that you can't explain. A peace that your neighbor doesn't understand. They can't figure out why you're not a basket case. Say, well, because I'm a basket case, saved by grace. How about that? And God's stability is uh, is powerful. The peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to do a lot of work on this. Um, this verse is convicting. This verse, this verse bothers me every time I learn about a brother or a sister. That has taken their soul and instead of guarding it, they have laid it bare before an unbeliever. They've gone and they paid $120 a billable hour to bear their soul to a, a, a psycho heresy uh, Freudian counselor. And that bothers me because the care of their soul has been assigned to a shepherd. The care of their soul, and even the idea of psychotherapy. Wait a minute. I understand physical therapy. I understand i got to do therapy on my knee, therapy on my arm, therapy on whatever. I can do physical therapy on all kinds of physical things. My psuche, my soul, what's the care of souls about? And uh, it comes through scriptures. It comes through the shepherding. It comes through the Word of God. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's the shepherd and guardian of my soul. And uh, it's as if verse 6 isn't even in some people's Bibles or verse 7 isn't in some people's Bibles. To guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus? They're not even guarding their hearts and their minds. They need to be guarded. Anyway, we'll deal with that. And then uh, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, you know, each one of these is a description of Jesus Christ. Each one of these is a description of other things. But when we're fixed on Christ, we're occupied with Him, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Uh, If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. And the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. There's such community in that text. There's such community in the plural verbs being applied by a plural body of people. And it's not just academic learning. It's not just Bible class only. You know, learned and received and heard and seen. Wow. Community. I'm learning it academically. I'm also seeing it when my brothers and sisters are applying it. I'm seeing it when my pastor lives it. I'm seeing it when my deacons and my elders exhibit it. It comes in community. And there's stability in that. How about James 1? More stability. So we should uh, consider it all joy when we encounter various trials. James chapter 1. How else are you going to build up your endurance? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I love to quote that verse when I get the dreaded how are you question. People say, how are you? I say, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. There you go. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. It will be given to him. And this is why we have the greatest stability ever. We have resources an Old Testament believer didn't have available. He had wisdom. He had Proverbs. He had Psalms. He had all the wisdom literature. But he was not baptized in union with Jesus Christ with a Melchizedek priesthood that could ask anytime, anywhere. No uh, dead goat required. (laughs) Just right here, right now, go to that throne of grace. It will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. We're not here for wishy-washy Christianity, uh, with any kind of flaky um, uh, emotional type of thing. No doubting. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind where's the stability in that? There's no stability in that. We have confidence. We have boldness before that throne of grace. We have stability. We don't go and ask. Some of us approach the father like, like you know, he's an abusive father or that he's a father who hates us or he's a father that doesn't want to give us good things. Or, uh, you know, we approach the father in some terms like maybe uh, we would approach a human being or something. It's so insulting. Absolutely. Like, you know, and I don't know, I guess Michael Gates, or Bill Gates, or Michael Dell, these these billionaires and whatever, and they're, you know, could you imagine being his kid and asking him for 20 bucks? You know? Thinking, you know, I I need 20 bucks. You know, and in as in wondering if maybe he'll not be able to swing it, you know? (laughs) He's a billionaire. I think he's got 20 bucks. I think he can get you what you need. How insulting is that? See, Back in my day, though, asking my dad for 20 bucks was, was I rarely did it, okay? Um, but think about going to the Father and asking and, and still doubting as if He's going to give it to you, asking without faith. That man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. You know, God's going to receive that prayer like, are you kidding me? And He will answer No. He will answer no. Why? Because you didn't ask in faith. Without faith it's impossible to please God. In faith you can move mountains. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That's not us. That's not our Melchizedek priesthood. That's not our birthright in Christ. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. The rich man is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass he will pass away. Anyway, we have a we have a, uh, a standing before God, and it's it's remarkable. Finally, then First Peter four addresses this. <clears throat> when it comes right down to it, the urgency ought to be prayer. First Peter four: the end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of attending as many Bible classes as you can. <laughs> oh, it doesn't say that. You know. How, how, how are local churches evaluated? Do they have 260 Bible classes every year? I hope they do. hope you get plenty of food. Do they have 150 prayer meetings a year? They should have more. How many more prayer meetings can we have? I love the fact that we have email, we have a prayer chain, you can send it out and uh, the whole prayer chain receives it. Anything you send a prayer request at goes out and the prayer team will receive it and the body can pray that way. At some point I would love it if we can get these push notifications sent to the new church app. How cool would that be? Get a little dingling in your pocket, pull it out and wow, I'm going to pray for this, okay? But I get these emails and a lot of times I like to reply to them with uh, praying for you, thanks, come to prayer meeting. Bring this to the saints Wednesday night at 6.30. Bring this to the saints Sunday morning at 8.30. And we can wrestle with this together as a body. All right. The end of all things is near, therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Do you think that's different or the same as verse 7? Do you think it's connected or disconnected? It's connected. The love, the mutual reciprocal love for one another, we exercise this in prayer. It's not the emotional phoniness, it's not you know, hugs or whatever. It's sitting down and praying. Keep ferventing your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. So whatever your gift is, my gift is pastor, teacher, whatever your gift is, there's 11 permanent spiritual gifts. But your gift is not for you. Your gift is for everybody but you. It's for the entire body of Christ, specifically in this lampstand, the the body of Christ, except for you, you'll use it on behalf of others. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If you're a speaker, if you're a servant, Peter breaks down the gifts into two broad categories. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. So that's pastor, teacher, teacher, um, uh, evangelist, exhortation, those are your communication gifts. Whoever serves, your servant gifts, helper, uh, giver, uh, server minister, uh, all the other servant gifts, there's 11 of them total. Do so uh, in the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now this stability that we have, it's within the veil. It's within the Holy of Holies. It's in the body of Christ. It, It cannot be separated from our position in this corporate body. How how does that lone sheep out there in the wild, how does that Joe Hermit Christian out there in the wild, how does that lone ranger guy, right, the John Wayne Christian approach, how does that guy fulfill the one another imperatives of the New Testament? There's just no way to do it. The, the one another imperatives demand a multitude. It demands plural people. It demands a body for the one another. Because if, if you're all by your lonesome, then what are you doing? Serving yourself? You know? Use your pastor-teacher gift on yourself. Pastor yourself. Bear your own burdens as you bear one another's burdens. I mean, what are you doing? Alright. So we have this stability within the veil. Now this is what chapter 7 is going to take us into. Let me just close with this. We're going to wrap this up and, and then uh, as soon as I see Molly, that's my clue, we'll be wrapping up our class and getting ready for communion. He has entered within the veil. That's where the stability is. Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Thank God it's not another Aaronic priesthood where one guy goes in there all by himself and everybody stands outside waiting to see him again, hoping he survives. (laughs) Hoping he comes back out alive. All right. No. He enters as a forerunner for us and we all go in there. We all go in there. Now I can imagine... In the tabernacle, that holy of holies was only what, like a twenty foot by twenty foot? I mean, how many cubits was it? It's a, you can't fit a lot of people maybe in, in in a thing like that. But guess what? In the heavenly temple temple, we're all there. Every last one of us is there in Christ. And we all get to appear in there together. And not just before a mercy seat, we go to the throne of grace, because Jesus is our mercy seat. So keep those things in mind as well. Alright, the order of Melchizedek. Here's a priesthood. This sounds exciting. Melchizedek. And in chapter 7, we're going to get this in Spain. Starting next week, we're going to go into who was this Melchizedek guy? What was he all about? How could he be a priest? I thought he was a king. He's both a king and a priest. Because he's going to fulfill as a foreshadowing what Jesus is going to fulfill in the millennium. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of peace. He has such a type of Christ. It's an amazing thing. So much so, some of the rabbis even thought that maybe he was Christ. Maybe he was, uh, uh, you know, a Christophany, an appearance of Messiah in, uh, in different ways. Anyway, we'll talk about that as well. All right. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the priesthood that we have in Christ. And Father, I thank you as New Testament believers. We are those that enter within the veil. We are... Uh, made righteous. We have every right to be here, Father. And uh, we have full standing as, uh, as your Son does. Every right that your Son has, we have, Father, because you have baptized us into union with your Son. And so, Father, I thank you for the uh, testimony that we have. I thank you for yesterday's testimony that we had at the, uh, uh, the baptism service there at Barton Springs Pool in front of all of Austin and everybody. Father, in front of men and angels alike. We had uh, brothers and sisters that testified of their faith in Jesus Christ and I thank you for that. So Father this is our joy and our delight. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.